Our text to begin with is in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6. This is the chapter where Moses has recorded for us the Ten Commandments as they were given on the mountain to Moses. Verse 5 says, he's talked about uh, false gods, carved images, that sort of thing. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The point I want to make here is this. This is one of the references, there's about two or three others, where the Bible indicates that the sins of the fathers are passed down to the third and fourth generation. In other words, a generational baggage or sometimes called a generational curse. Now, so what is that? It's a tendency that is passed on from your parents, perhaps grandparents, perhaps even great-grandparents. He said three or four generations. Actually, it may not be uh, stopping at four generations. It might even be going down even further than that. But at least we know that it is possible for the sins of the parents to be transmitted down to their children. Lifestyle. Now, uh, this could be a result of genetics. It could be the result of living the same lifestyle, being raised in a lifestyle, and living that same lifestyle in the upcoming generation. So there are several ways that this can happen. But I'm not too concerned about all the different ways tonight. My objective is that we will identify one if it exists in our life that we will know how to identify ancestral baggage or a generational curse. Point number one, symptoms of a bondage or a curse. The person does everything right, at least as far as he can tell, but he never seems to prosper. You ever met anybody like that? You know, it looked like they were a good person. They were trying to do everything they knew to, to do. But things never seemed to work out for them. Now, before I go any further, let me stop and say this. Just having one of these things in your life alone is not indicative of a generational curse or ancestral baggage. That's just having one. But if you have as many as two or three or four, then you might consider that there's something there that needs to be dealt with, and we'll talk about how to do that later. Number two, the person studies and works hard. In other words, he puts lots of effort in his walk with God. He puts lots of effort in trying to do things that's right in the sight of God or for his family. He works hard at it, but seemingly it's not working. Next one. He acquires skills, but success always eludes him. All his life, he seems to struggle against something he cannot identify. Failure seems inevitable. He cannot pinpoint the problem. All of those are indications of a possible curse operating. Now, I suggest that um, reading the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we'll get to some of that in just a little bit, would be another way to identify these type of things that may be coming against a person's life. A long evil arm from the past. It seems like just something from the past. Many, many times I've had people tell me, you know, my father or my mother was this particular way. And when I got married or when I got out on my own, I was determined I am not going to be like him. I'm not going to be like her. And I see myself sounding like, acting just like them. Anybody here besides me ever thought or said that? Well, this type of person here that we're talking about that has a 
some baggage that's on them. They, they feel like something from the past has just got its grip on them and holding them back. They're trying to do better. They're trying to live better. But just something is holding them back and they have trouble pinpointing it. A long, evil arm from the past. A dark, oppressive arm inhibits the full expression of his personality. He cannot feel completely free to be himself. He has a sense of potential within that is never fully developed. The people that I've seen over the years, I see many, many, many people like that. Look at the fifth one. There seems to be an influence that continually causes him to trip or stumble. His way seems clear, but somehow he's tripped up just before reaching his goal. There's no logical reason for failure. Frustration is commonplace. He may have some success, but no fulfillment in that success. Wow. These are really realistic. Lots and lots of people have these. Now, like I said, if you just have one of these out of these five statements, if you just have one of them, don't be concerned about it. You probably don't have a curse operating. But if you, in fact, have two, three, four, or more, then there's a good chance that you will. Now, let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. Deuteronomy, chapter 28, and we have this the first few verses, first 14 verses of this is the blessing. You'll be blessed if. You'll be blessed coming in, blessed going out and all the blessings. But then starting in verse 15 and following, he starts telling about some curses that will happen. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, I can anticipate some thoughts somebody's having, and that is this. Well, we're living in the new covenant. I thought the law was taken care of. We'll get to that in just a minute. That's a good statement, but we need to look at some other things first. Disobedience to God is a really big thing. Let me say that again. Disobedience to God is a really big thing. It was a big thing under the Old Covenant. It's a big thing under the New Covenant. You know, when God, when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, He said, teaching them to obey whatever I have told you or taught you. So it's in the new covenant just like it was in the old covenant. See, God's nature has not changed. His nature remains the same regardless of the covenant. The differences in the covenant is on man's side, not God's side. See, sometimes people have thought, well, God was an angry God in the Old Testament, but He's a loving God in the New Testament. No, He was both loving and angry at times with his people in the Old Testament, and he's loving and sometimes upset with us in the New Covenant. The key is to obey what he said. For them, it was to obey what he said to them. For us, it's to obey what he says to us. So, well, is God going to condemn me to hell? No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about walking with God in freedom from all of Satan's entanglements as well as the entanglements of the world. So in verse 15, one of the things that is an indicator of a curse is mental or emotional breakdown. And if you read the rest of these verses from 15 onward to the end of the chapter, uh, you can see places where that seems to pop up. A mental or an emotional breakdown. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. I haven't, but I've seen them happen. And it's not fun. It's not pleasant. I'll give you an example. I, when I graduated from Bible college, in my, in my senior class that year, there was a man who was married and had two kids, and he was working at a job part-time as well as going to school full-time. And... Uh, the college that we went to, they felt like they had the Marine mentality. We're looking for a few good men. 
You know, they, they were going to make you tough. And if it didn't kill you, you'd, you'd be better and stronger at the end. But in this guy's case, he had a nervous breakdown one day in chapel. It was a, somebody had spoken in chapel and there was a few minutes left and the uh, guy leading the chapel service that day said, we got like 10 minutes and we're going to take time. If anybody wants to uh, stand where you are, give a short testimony. And soon as they said that, this guy stood up. He was a real nice guy. And he just went berserk. I mean, he, he starts crying and boo-hooing and I don't know what's wrong with me and nothing I do seems to work. I mean, the guy just came unglued and he got worse than that. So pretty soon they called the guys into white coats and they came and got him and took him to a mental hospital. And he never came back to class. So it's not fun to see somebody have a mental or emotional breakdown. It's not fun. And that's not a good thing. So if that happens, perhaps there might be a curse or a, some baggage. Now, repeated or chronic sickness, especially that which is hereditary. Now look at these verses uh, that's uh, here in, in chapter 28, verse 22. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with se severe burning, fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. On and on, passage after passage, when he's talking to these disobedient people. Sickness and disease that doesn't appear to be curable. Maybe you prayed, you prayed, you prayed. You've had other people pray, pray, pray. You've stood, you've confessed, you've declared, but it doesn't seem to make any difference. Maybe that's an indication. Barrenness or tendency to miscarry is another one. Verse 18. Let's go back to that one. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your Land, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. There's just one passage. So if an individual has over and over again a tendency uh, for barrenness or to miscarry, it may be not only something hereditary, it could be ancestral baggage that's gone forward. It could be a curse operating. Breakdown of marriage and family. This is also one of the indicators of a curse or ancestral baggage. Sometimes people don't realize how much things in the past are affecting us today. There are some statistics, and I, don't, I didn't bring them with me to class, but I have read about them. Statistics that indicate if you were raised in a family where there were a lot of problems between husband and wife or there was more than one divorce in that family, be it the parent or sibling, there's a much higher risk that you'll have one in your family. Now why is that? Well... It could be that because, you know, monkey see, monkey do. As we see, well, this is normal behavior, so as we've seen it, as it's been a part of our family, that we don't expect anything different than that. I guess that'll happen to me too, because, it, you know, it happened to them. Sometimes that's merely the enemy's opportunity to try to destroy our life and our families. The enemy doesn't like families, by the way. Satan doesn't like strong families. You know why? Because he knows strong families are going to stand together and he won't be able to destroy them. They will stand together. They'll trust. They'll pray. They'll encourage. And he can't destroy them. He doesn't like strong families. And so he does everything he can to do that. Continually... Financial insufficiency. Continual financial insufficiency. So, well, that's, that's just a lifestyle. 
Yes, for some people it is. But if you're working, if you're trying to have a budget, if you're trying to be uh, trustworthy, if you're trying to do everything that you're supposed to be doing in the financial realm, and it still doesn't work, maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper. deeper. Being accident prone is another one. You know, some people are accident prone. They, they just are. It, it doesn't matter where they are or what they're doing. They are just liable to get in some sort of an accident over and over again. I had a lady in, in my office about 10, 15 years ago. And she was telling me, I asked her, I said, well, what can I do for you today? And she said, well, I'm accident prone. I said, oh, really? Tell me about it. So she starts telling me about how everything, she said, if I go a week and haven't broken a finger or a toe or fallen into the cabinet or fell out of the, the, the bathtub or something, she said, that's a good week. And I said, well, how long has this been going on? She said, oh, about 40 years. I said, okay, we got a major problem here. (laughs) You may be cursed in one form or the other. Now, let me stop and say this. You know, we Americans, we don't talk much about curses. You know, that's for people involved in witchcraft, or Jamaica, or Haiti, or Africa. You know, we're not putting curses on people. We're not chanting certain things to make bad things happen to good people. Maybe, maybe not. And I'll answer that and explain more about that in just a minute. Accident prone. And then lastly in this section... History of suicides, unnatural or untimely deaths could be an indication of a curse operating in you or your family line. Now, self-imposed curses. Let's talk about that a minute. The first one there in your notes is witchcraft. Witchcraft. Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. And verse 25 and 26. Let's look at this. He's telling them, you shall burn the carved images of their gods. He's talking to the Israelites. When you get into the promised land, you're going to inhabit a land that's, that's got all these other types of people there. And he said, you shall burn the images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourself, lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it, utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. Objects can carry curses on them. I've been in a whole bunch of different countries. I am very, very, very particular about buying souvenirs. Very, very particular. Because I've learned that not everybody in those countries are Christian, nor have an understanding about how Christians actually supposed to live. All right? So, for example, I was in Nigeria a number of years ago, back in the middle 80s. And um, I went with Ron Charles into this little shop. And he wanted to get something there. And so I saw this, this really nice walking stick or cane. It was about this tall. I said, that really looks good. And it'd be neat to have one like that. I'd like to have something like that and just have it over in the corner in my office. And I said, but before I do that, do you know the people that operate this place? He said, oh, yeah, they're Christians. I said, well, that's good. Do you know if they really practice their Christianity? Do you know they still do voodoo and witchcraft and all that? And he said, oh, no, they do not. Anything you see here, you can buy and be assured that it's okay. So I got me a walking stick. It's up in my office now. 
But I'm very, very careful about that because I do not want any accursed thing in my possession. Okay? That's one way that the enemy gets invited into our lives and homes without us even thinking about it. Okay? Now let me tell you, I don't know what type of church you may be raised in, but I know the church that I was raised in thought nothing of using Ouija boards in their homes. In fact, I, was, I wasn't in the youth group at that church, but I heard about, after this happened, the youth had some sort of picnic or something, and as it was getting dark and they had to go in the house, they, the people's house they were uh, having a party had a Ouija board, so the church kids sat around the fire on the, on the porch. They had a, like a built-in fire pit off of this porch, and they were roasting you know, marshmallows and hot dogs and playing the Ouija board. Well, now, to me, that's an abomination. That's just about the best word I can use to describe it. That's an abomination, and that's an invitation to demon spirits to say, welcome, come on in, I'm waiting for you. So I would say, don't bring any accursed thing into your possession. It does not belong there. And by doing things like that, you bring a curse, or at least you open the door for it. Now, the second one is even more prominent than the witchcraft. And that is the abuse of the tongue. Remember the passage in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can curse yourself by what you say as a Christian. You say, well, I would never do that. I I realize we wouldn't intentionally, but sometimes we're so trained a particular way that we say things that we, if we really thought about it, we wouldn't do if we realize we may be even cursing yourself. Example. You're in your bathroom, you're looking at yourself in the mirror where you're a woman putting on your makeup or a guy shaving or whatever, and you see something about your face you don't like. I know nobody besides me ever did this, okay? I know you all, rest of you are so beautiful, you, there's everything about your face I'm sure you enjoy. But you look at yourself there and you say, you got a crooked nose. I do happen to have a crooked nose. That's what a baseball bat will do to you. And uh, you got a crooked nose. That's the ugliest looking nose I ever saw. You know what you did if you say things like that? You just cursed yourself. Particularly your nose. All right? I had a lady in my office. This had been several years ago now. And she, she came in with, I said, what, what can I do for you? What we need to pray for? And she said, I got this skin condition. So we got to talking about her skin condition, eczema, psoriasis, you know, all the different possibilities. And, 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 and she said, well, I've been checked out at the, the dermatologist and other, another doctor, and they tell me it's not either one of those. Well, what do they say it is? They said, we don't know. And they'd run some tests. The tests were not conclusive, so now she's seeking help. And I went through three or four different things, asking her questions. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And then she said something that was very telling. And she mentioned about her parents, particularly her mother, having bad skin. And uh, so, and ding, a little light went on. And I got to thinking, okay, so tell me a little bit more about this. Because your mother had this, have you, do you expect to have it yourself? She said, oh yeah, I just figured, you know, she's my mom, I'm her daughter, I guess I'll have bad skin that's got pimples and breakouts and all this. I said, you just cursed yourself. You just cursed, you've been cursing yourself all this time. Self imposed curses with the words we speak. 
particularly when they are words that don't line up with Scripture. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And look at Proverbs 10, 11, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. So, we self-impose curses by what we say. Do you know you're beautiful in the sight of God? You are. You're beautiful in the sight of God. You know why you are? Because you're His son or daughter. He don't make bad things. He makes good things. You're beautiful in the sight of God. So, well, what if I see something about myself I don't like? Don't curse yourself. Just make a decision to change whatever can possibly be changed. Declare the Word of God. Declare the Word of God. Declare the Word of God. So, witchcraft is a self-imposed curse. The abuse of the tongue is self-imposed. So we need to watch what we say. Now, some people carry this to such an extreme that they can't string together two words for fear that they're going to say something wrong. Okay? I'm I'm not saying that when I say, you know, watch out what you're saying. I'm not saying that. Uh, or say, well, I can't, I can't joke or have any fun because I might say something. Well, the Bible does talk about foolish gestion, jesting and coarse joking. It, it does forbid that. But just being humorous with each other, that's a, that's a different story. What I'm talking about here is when you speak contrary to the Word of God about yourself or about a family member or about a friend, that is a form of cursing. I've told this story before, but it fits here. A number of years ago, probably 15 to 20, maybe longer than that, Something was happening in in our country here, and um, politically, I did not approve of it. And I made several comments to family and friends about the people doing those particular things. And um, then one day, I was praying... And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you've got to quit cursing. What? I've been born again since I was nine years old. I've never used curse words. I don't use curse words. And I felt like he said the same thing to me again. You've got to stop cursing. Lord, I don't curse. Now, you know what I found out from that? It's foolish to argue with God. You're going to lose that argument since he knows everything. And he suddenly it came to my mind this. Remember those words you said about our president? Well, yeah. I do remember that, but Lord, that's where he is. He said, you're not his judge. Well, that was a revelation. You're not his judge. He said, you ought to pray for him instead of cursing him by what you say. So I want you to quit your cursing. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Lord. I will stop my cursing. And... uh, now, does that mean I approve of everything he said or any of them since? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. See, you can go to the extreme of saying, well, I can't say anything then. No. It matters the intent of the heart. It matters the words you say and what you would like to see God do. You know, God, I wish you were on my side. We could straighten up some things. No, God is doing His will, not ours. We have to remember that. So Galatians chapter 3, let's move on to that one. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. 
Bible. Turn to four. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, I mentioned earlier, we're living under the new covenant. So, Scripture says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And that's absolutely 100% true. He has. That is the reason that you and I can be free from curses that exist. Because Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law and all the other type of curses that exist in our world. He has redeemed us. We can take a position, I am redeemed from not only the curse of the Mosaic law, I am redeemed from the law of curses. Plural. That's why you can be set free, because Jesus bought your redemption. But the second part of it is, not only am I redeemed and you are redeemed positionally from the curses, we must be uh, redeemed from the experience of the curse. See, one is my standing before God and the other is my experience, present tense. See, every one of us as believers possess far more than we actually live in. Would you agree with that? That in Christ we possess far more. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But yet, looking at our lives, we don't live in all of them yet. So one thing is our position, the other is our experience. So, because Jesus took our curse, we can be free from the curses of the law and all the rest. But we do have to cooperate with him to experience and walk in that particular freedom. So what do we want to do to get set free? Confess your faith in Christ. In other words, declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you know of any rebellion or sin, repent of it. Claim forgiveness for all your sin if you haven't done it. Forgive anyone who's harmed you or wronged you. Renounce all contact with anything occultic or satanic. Renounce it. Get rid of it. What I say to a lot of young people, and sometimes some older people, is they may have objects in their house that shouldn't be there. Such as posters, music, that is totally anti-God and ungodly. Now, I know I've quit preaching going to meddling, but hang with me. You know, things like that, you need to get them out of your house. Need to have a house cleaning. CDs, tapes, records, and all those type things that are totally ungodly. Maybe not just humorous, but I'm talking about ungodly. Rebellion causing things. Get rid of it. Renounce them. Pray the prayer of release from the curse. Believe you've received it. And be blessed. So, this is not a formula. I'm just trying to give you some ideas on how you can be set free of this. You can declare your faith in Jesus Christ. You can repent of rebellion hard-heartedness, all of that. Forgive anybody that's offended you. Renounce all contact with anything that's occultic or satanic. And I told you a few sessions ago about a lady that used to come to church here for a while, and then she left, and then she came back just a few years ago, and uh, she was real sick, and she asked me to come pray for her, and she was on her bed and I went in and I, as soon as I walked into the room I could sense something demonic was present and I kept looking around the room while she was talking to me and telling me what the problem was and suddenly I saw this clock sitting on her dresser 
big, about this size round clock with a pole and a snake wrapped around it and his head was coming out like this and his fangs. And that was, I said, oh, there's the open door. And I asked her, oh, where'd you get that? Well, her husband gave it to her as a present. Said it cost several thousand dollars. And I said, well, let me tell you, that is the source of part of your problem right there. You need to, we need to destroy that. He said, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. My husband gave it to me. You know, and I tried to convince her otherwise, but she would not be convinced. And I said, okay, when you get serious, call me and I'll come back. So that's rather abrupt. I know it. But some people, you have to deal with them where they are before you can get them to where they need to be. And so a few weeks later, a couple weeks, I think it was, she called me and she said, okay, I'm ready. So I said, do you want me to take the clock out and destroy it? Yes. So I went back over. I took the clock, put it in the trunk of my car, came back in and prayed for her. And we had a good time of getting free from a bunch of things that she needed freedom from. I brought the clock here, had Neil to meet me back at the dumpster. We took hammers and beat it up in little small pieces. Now, there was no reaction when we beat it up, but at least we got it out of her house. It was an accursed thing. And you see, the Scripture says, don't have an accursed thing in your house. That's an open door to the enemy. Now, I want to shift gears just a little bit and move over to soul ties. What is a soul tie? It's a connection between you and an object or a thing that should not be there, generally speaking. Now, I'm going to make two exceptions. Number one, because God is our Father, Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, we have a soul connection to the Lord, and that's righteous. That's correct. You're supposed to have that. Second type of soul tie you're supposed to have, if you're married between a man and a woman, there is a proper soul tie there, and it's supposed to be there. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. See, that's a soul tie. That is scriptural. What I'm talking about soul ties, however are things when people are connected to other things or objects or other people that should not exist. Shouldn't exist, but it does. Now, if you've got a Bible, go with me to Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 22. 5.22. I want to show you something. Verse 21. For the, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He's caught in the cords of his sin. Get another scripture. Go to the book of Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 18. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope. In other words, that's, a, that's an illustration of a tie, a connection to a particular sin. I've had what I'm about to tell you happen to me twice in these 53 years. One was in Tennessee and one was in Louisville. I'm not going to talk about the Louisville one because it wasn't nearly as dramatic as the one in Tennessee. All right? One day a lady came to my office. said, I need to talk to you, Pastor. She was a lady that came to church. I said, okay. She said, you know, I went to such and such high school and went from there to the, to the university. 
and I met this young man in high school, and he also went to the same college that I went to. And we became good friends. Never dated much, but just we're just basically just good friends. And then after we both graduated, I went where I went, and, and she had gotten married and had a couple of kids, and she never he went someplace, and she didn't know anything about him for like 15 years. And one day, he knew, uh, I guess he had found where she lived, what city she lived in, and he was passing through town, and so he would, looked her up and called her on the phone. And he said, um, can we meet someplace and talk? She says, no, you know, I'm married and I've got a couple of kids. And so he, he just kept trying to urge her to meet him at a, at a restaurant or McDonald's or someplace and just have a cup of coffee and talk and catch up on old times. So she said, okay, finally. She thought, well, maybe if I do this, then that'll be the end of this. He was a traveling salesman from in the Chicago area passing through Tennessee. And so they met at the coffee shop. They had coffee. They talked for a while. And they ended up in a motel room. So she said, well, I was devastated. I was devastated. I was disappointed in myself. I was totally devastated by those events. She said, I promise God and myself, I will never, ever, ever do that again. About a year went by. She gets a call from him. He said, I'm passing through. And can we meet and have coffee? She says, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't do that. No, that's not right. But she looked at me and she said, but you know, there was something. It was as if there were an invisible force that literally drug me to get a cup of coffee with him again. And they ended up in a motel room. She said, that happened just a few weeks ago. What, what should I do? I said, well, number one, I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to break those soul ties that have been connections, been made there. And so we did. And after we got through with that, I said, now listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. I said, if he ever calls you again, here's what you say. Write this down. Memorize this so that you can repeat it to him without having to look it up. Here's what you tell him. Leave me alone. I do not ever want to talk to you. I do not ever want to see you. I will never have anything to do with you. And if you do call me, I will call the police and have you arrested for harassment. I said, you tell him that. So she, she said, okay, I will. A few weeks later, she called me one day on the phone. She was kind of shaking and nervous, but laughing at the same time. She said, you probably won't believe this, but she called the guy's name and said, he called me on the phone today. I said, what'd you do? She said, I repeated to him exactly what you said. I said, good for you. And I said, now, if he ever calls you again, you, you just keep telling him that. I was there, we stayed there about three more years at that church afterward, and he never bothered her anymore. Now, what we did when we prayed is we broke the soul tie, the connection that was established illegally in an ungodly fashion. And I'll give you scripture for that. I'm sure you thought I would. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse Correction, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. Look at this. Here is where a lot of these soul ties get established. 6, 16. Paul is in the discussion, this is said in the context of immoral sins, sexual sins. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. 
Or do you not know that he who is joined to her harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. A soul tie is established where immorality has happened. Now I'm talking outside the context of a husband and wife in a marriage relationship. All right, that's... That is the context that we've already said is permissible, obviously. But outside of that, if there's immorality with somebody, the opposite sex, or in our day, even the same sex, then you've established a soul tie with that person, according to Scripture. You've established a soul tie, and that soul tie needs to be broken. Now, I mentioned that I had something similar to this happen here in Louisville. And this was shortly after we came here in the early 80s. Not hardly as dramatic as the one that I just mentioned. But over the years, I've had several others be involved in similar things and seen a soul tie be established that had to be broken so they could get free. The folks, what we're talking about here is serious business. This is serious business. See, you want to be connected to the Lord. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. That's that's why you want it. You want to be connected wife and husband together. Yes. But anything beyond that, I'm talking about from a sexual perspective, anything beyond that can establish a soul tie that you do not want and you need to be free of. You need to be free of. Well, what if it happened 20 years ago? Well, it needs to be broken. If it hasn't been, it needs to be. It needs to be broken. And you will experience more freedom. I had a pastor come to see me a number of years ago. He had had an affair with one of his church members. Nobody knew it. He said, I need help. Will you help me? And I said, I will. And I led him through this very thing that I'm talking about to you. He broke that soul tie. He went to his supervisor, his superintendent, over over his region and his denomination, and he asked to be moved to another church in another location. He said, I could stay at this church and nobody would know except me and my wife. And it would always, however, be a reminder of my failure. So I want to be moved to another church in another location so that our family can get a fresh start all over again. And I told him, I said, well, that's probably a good idea. And it worked out that way. He, he did get reassigned and he was able to continue his ministry. After we took care of the sin and broke the soul tie. I have talked to him on a couple of occasions since and this is, we're probably talking 35 years plus ago. He lives in another state. He's pastored a really good church and he's doing very well. So my point is, does it matter when it happened? If it was illegal, repent of it. That's the first thing. Repent. Turn away from it. Turn to God. Renounce it. Rebuke it. Command it to go. Break the soul tie. And you can be free from it. Say, so is that the only type of soul tie? No. That's just an example of the most prominent type that happens over and over and over again. Breaking a soul tie is important. Sometimes people have soul ties to objects, to behaviors, and they're connected. And it's as if they were drawn by the cord of their sin, just like we read that scripture, as if something just keeps pulling them back to it over and over again. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm... I know it's not right for me to do this. I don't want to do this. Help me to get free. Well, you just have to 
Rebuke the devil and tell him where to go and how soon to get there. And that that is not a part of your life as a believer and you will have no more part with it. Okay? And if you do that, you can be set free. Okay? Now, what, what I want to do now, I want to put into practice what we just talked about. I want us to put into practice what we just talked about. Do you think that there's a soul tie somewhere in your life? Could there be? These things that I've mentioned, the symptoms, the indicators, are there anything like that? Any of those type things in your life? Examine your own heart for a minute. Health conditions, thought processes, certain behaviors, generational curse, soul tie. Could be any number of those or a combination of those. Is there anything like that in your life that you haven't dealt with yet? So I've already dealt with it. Wonderful. Praise God. You should be free then. But if you haven't, What do we need to do about it? As I've said before, one of my favorite teachers is a man who passed away a number, well, a few years ago named Derek Prince, the guy who wrote that book I talked about. He was in St. Louis, I believe it was, back in the um, late 70s, early 80s, holding a seminar, about 5,000 people in the auditorium. He taught on something very similar to what we've talked about here. He had some people scattered throughout the auditorium. I think it was Keel Auditorium in St. Louis. He had people scattered, his workers with his team, scattered all over the place because they knew what he was about to do. And after he taught, he did what we're doing right now and said, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to rebuke those things. I want you to repent. I want you to rebuke it yourself. I want you to command it to go. And I saw the videotape. I wasn't there, but I saw the videotape that was made. When he starts praying and rebuking, I mean, it was like at least a thousand or more of those 5,000 people began to cry out to God and demons started manifesting all over that auditorium. But he had it covered. He had people stationed around that would help him. And... Uh, you know, it took 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 to most, and the people got set free. Now, am I expecting that tonight? No, I'm not. But what I am expecting is, if you and I really mean business with God, we can come clean and break the soul ties or the generational curses and be in a whole lot better health, more joy, peace, fruit of the Spirit, more of the presence of God revealed that can happen.